HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. It's the final stretch of 2022, and HRN needs your help. Become an HRN member with a donation of any amount at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. On this episode of Soul by Todd Richards, I am pleased to have one of, uh, I have to say, probably one of the most outstanding gentlemen that I have ever known in my entire life. We started uh, cooking together uh, off and on in probably 1994, if I remember correctly, maybe 93, 94. I'm showing my age not being able to remember here. But we worked for an esteemed chef, Chef Daryl Evans. And Chef Evans put us on different pathways in order to be successful. I would say that my pathway was probably the wildest one because I was all over the damn place. But, you know, it takes a great amount of discipline to accomplish what Chef Daryl Schuler accomplished, being the first African-American certified master chef in the entire world. And I am so proud, so happy, so elated to share um, this microphone, this platform with him because he is probably one of the most uh, brilliant people I've known for a long time, especially in this culinary industry. So without further ado, please welcome certified master chef, Daryl Schuler. <laughs> Thank you, Todd. You know, it's kind of it's kind of crazy hearing you say that because I just remember being back in 1994 when I when I met you uh, for this first time. And, and first off, congratulations to you, Todd, for the outstanding career that you've had so far, the impact that you've had on the industry. Uh, when I see you doing the things that you're doing, it just it just makes me so proud because I know where we came from and being on the line together and starting our roots together. Uh, it's just a testament to the upbringing that we have and the camaraderie that we have. And so I'm so proud of you as well, man. I, I truly appreciate it. You know, we came up in a traditional brigade system of, of cooking, and I'm not going to be the best to to establish or to tell people what that system of cooking is. Can you tell them how we came up in that kitchen? And and to give everyone reference of where we first um, met each other, this is at the Four Seasons, well, it's now the Four Seasons Hotel. It was Occidental 
original Grand Hotel when we first started working together. But tell people just what, in general, what the brigade system is in, in kitchens. You know, the brigade system is a pecking order uh, in the culinary environment. So it starts with the executive shelf, executive sous chef, and down to the commis. So when we met each other, we were more like the commis. We were like line cooks that was doing a little bit of everything. And that was the, the magic of the time that we were in. We were so competitive as young culinarians that we looked for every opportunity possible to do more than just set up our station, to do more than just focus on what we had at that time. We were just looking at any and everything, first off, to make Chef Evans proud. And then two, just to kind of be competitive amongst each other. You know, I just remember, you know, you creating dishes and I'm like, wow, I love what Ty created. Let me create something even better or competitive as, as what you've done. Uh, same with like Dwayne and everybody else that was working with us. So the, the brigade system is just uh, the, the structure of the kitchen, the structure of, you know, what we do as culinarians. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just a beautiful thing to see that brigade system come to life as professionals. I'm going to kind of recap uh, who worked in that kitchen uh, with us that some people might have seen on the podcast already or might see us on IG together. So it was uh, you, Chef Schuler, myself, Todd right. Richards, Dwayne Nutter, right. uh, Reginald right. uh, Finley, uh, David uh, Turner, who we just saw uh, right. uh, on this past Saturday. Uh, who am I missing out? Oh, well, and this is other kitchens. We have Charlie, uh, Charlie Hatney that came on uh, later uh, with us, Troy Singley as as well he was the banquet chef at that at, at that time right. uh i mean just and, and then later on at villa christina when we worked together you know john bills uh uh joined right. us as well michael jenkins joined us as well so you talk about you know you have right now probably in in the culinary field across the country eight either uh chefs chef owners, restaurant owners, certified master chef, you being that exclusively, and everyone at the top of their game in that field. But I believe that has to do with two of the legacies of the people that, you know, that you were so graciously offered your space for to honor this past weekend and Chef Daryl Evans and Chef Joe Randall. You know, what was the impact of Chef Evans on, on your career? You know, Todd, when I think about Chef Evans, and I'm pretty sure it's the same for you, man, it's an emotional topic um, because the power of one man and the influence of one person goes far beyond what he thought of as a culinary himself going into the industry. I met Chef Evans when I was 19 years old, Todd. I was graduating wow. from culinary school, and I had my commencement ceremony at the uh, cop Galleria and my mother was there, my, my, my sister, my nephews, everyone was there. And I remember them, they was introducing this chef that was on the U S culinary Olympic team and up comes chef Evans. And he barely stood above the podium, he had the tall hat. And he spoke about his time with his mentor, master chef, Thomas Cantherall. And I'm sitting there in the audience and I'm like, wow, this guy, this guy name is Daryl. My name is Daryl. He was on the U.S. <laughs> Olympic team. I want to be on the Olympic team. And that that laid out the blueprint for my career. And everything I did, Todd, up until that point was to mimic what Chef Evans did. And I was the second African-American to make the U.S. culinary Olympic team back in 2008. So, you know, it, it's just so amazing how, you know, Chef Evans and, and God bless his soul. And he has he came in a time to where he saved us, Todd. Absolutely. He saved us from from being in the streets, 
on the news, in prison, possibly dead. He saved us by giving us an opportunity just to be who we are today back then. You know, so let's talk about a little bit more about the culinary Olympic team, because I don't think most people even understand that there is an Olympic, you know, team for food, you know, that, you know, they see all the shows, the chopped uh, uh, top chef, they see all these things, but they're not sure that people understand that there is actually Olympics uh, for food. Can you go into a little detail about what that entails? Yeah, so the Culinary Olympics is uh, the highest level of culinary competitions for teams uh, in the world. You have the individual competition, which is called the Bocuse Dior. Opposite of that is the Culinary Olympics, which is held every four years in Germany. So in 2008, I made the U.S. Culinary Olympic team, one of only five chefs to represent the United States in international competitions. And you spend about three and a half to four years training, developing, creating a program that's competitive to other countries like Luxembourg, Switzerland, France, Germany, you know, countries to where the great chefs of those countries are competing against you. And in 2008, we placed number one in the world, gold medals. Um, That was a that was an experience of a lifetime, Todd. That really gave me the foundation I needed to step towards the highest level in culinary arts, which is the certified master chef exam. And being on that team is equivalent to 10 years industry experience. So uh, that that whole entire operation of just traveling, training, focus, detailed preparation really set the tone for the rest of my career. So, I mean, you know, and I'm sitting here as your friend and colleague and and all, um, you know, I kind of had to look back at my notes because I lost track of my mind. It's like, damn, he's on the, I forgot he was on the Culinary Olympic team, you know, gold medal, you you know, I mean, it's just, you know, this life that we have in this business is such a blur sometimes. Um, I mean, it is, it just goes a mile a minute. And then next thing you know, you look up and like, where are we at? You know, what are we doing? And this is why I'm so happy that you're on, on, on the show this, this week, that that type of training and discipline, uh, is not something that is just given. It's something you have to train for. Uh, uh, I mean that you have to be really, uh, it's something in yourself, of course, to, you know, to want to do it. But it's a lot of sacrifice and things like that. Just briefly, just what is the sacrifice it takes just for you to get to the Olympic team? We're going to talk about the CMC in, in a moment. Well, that's that's a great question. Um, the sacrifice it, it is truly a sacrifice, Todd. Um, anything great comes with a price tag. And on that price tag is the word sacrifice. And to do something of that level, of that magnitude, with all that responsibility of carrying the weight of the country on your shoulders, you have to have a level of dedication. You have to have your family sign off on you doing this. You have to have your employer, all your friends, the family. Everyone has to understand that Daryl is not going to be available this weekend. Daryl is going to be at work doing his 40, 50 hours a week. But then also when his shift is done, he's going to go back into the kitchen and work on his program. There's a level of discipline borderline craziness that you have to have in order to achieve that level of success. And anyone that is interested in in possibly following that track, being on the Olympic team, possibly CMC, or even like what you taught, you know, restaurant owner, you know, uh, Iron Chef America, that takes a level of discipline and drive that is like nothing that you have ever done before. And if you're not committed to doing that, then trying to pursue something like that is just going to be, uh, you know, smoking the wind, unfortunately. But it takes so much dedication. It takes so much drive and discipline. But you have to understand why you're doing it for. Right. For me, right. it was always 
I wanted to get to that highest level because I was always told, Todd, and you too, how many times we was told that it can't be done? You shouldn't be here. How did you get here? And I love proving people wrong. So for me, I needed to be on the Olympic team to make that huge step to become the certified master chef. Let me let me ask you this question, because, you know, when Chef Evans uh, first took his, his exam for the uh, Olympic team um, and then had to redo it, you know, there was a level and and we you know, putting quotations that, you know, you're the first black, you know, CMC or you're the second black, you know, there's a reason why that we have to highlight these, these things uh, because of, of the, the, not the blatant racism that comes along with it, the type of racism that gets associated with the food that we cook or that our techniques are not, you know, as sound as everyone else. Are there any of your techniques that you've learned, you know, maybe from your grandmother or from your parents in growing up in cooking that you used during that time in the Olympics or got you to that point in which, you know, you said, wow, this is something like I did as a kid. And the reason why I bring this up is because so many times our, our food is diminished. Oh, that, I mean, it, it absolutely, Todd. Um, but what people don't realize is that soul food is really the original cuisine of America. Every other cuisine was brought over uh, through immigrants, through open ambassadorship. We had to take what was given to us and innovate it into something to where we could survive till today. It may not have been the best of the best, but it was what we had and we was able to innovate. And that innovation spirit is what I use as a member of the U.S. Olympic team, creating something that haven't been done before, you know, coming up with flavor profiles that really make sense and tantalizes the flavor profile. Um, even when I became a master chef, just being natural in the kitchen, just cooking from the heart, just having that natural instinct to make those appropriate moves to make those right decisions to just to just to do the things that make you competitive. That spirit of watching even my mother in the kitchen take what little she had out of the freezer and what was given to her and create a meal for me and my brother and sister. That innovative spirit is what she had, our ancestors had, and what I used to be the chef that I am today. I mean, that is so, so inspiring. I, I, I'm, um, again, and all on this side of the conversation, uh, even though I've known you for, for, you know, almost half my life, I, I'm right. still in awe, uh, you know, um, uh, of that. And then, you know, with the Culinary Olympic team, it took four years. Let's talk about this certified MasterChef journey. And and in the you know, brigade system, you know, we have the CEC certified executive chef, you know, but really tell people what is a certified MasterChef? So the, a certified MasterChef is someone who has already mastered the art of cooking. And I just want to say that before I get into my reply. Mm. There's a lot of chefs in the world, Todd, that has mastered the art of cooking. Let's just make sure we're clear on that. Correct. But to go and take eight days, 130 hours is a different beast. Um, and so in order for you to become a certified master chef, the test itself is, is called one of the most rigorous tests in the world. And so it takes a lifetime to get to that point to where you're ready to take the test. It takes 130 hours, eight days of cooking. You go through garmage, you do classical French, you do mystery baskets. Um, you're cooking about 10 hours a day. You get in little sleep. You're working with commies or apprentices or students that you never met before. They got limited skill set and you're having to cook for your life. And I just remember the very first day in Pasadena, California, I'm sitting outside the kitchen with my cart and my emotions kind of took over, Todd. 
Mm. And you're looking at you at that moment and you're like, wow, 20 years and here it is. It's time to either put up or shut up. And I remember going into that kitchen and I was nervous as, as hell, Todd. I mean, the first hour, <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I was in, I was just can, so in my emotions. You, you can cut one item straight, uh, you know, to oh save your my, life. <laughs> you, you, you know it, man. I couldn't even know what I didn't even know what salt was, man. <laughs> but but you just get to a point to where um you just realize, okay emotions over with. And I think a lot of times we allow our emotions to hinder us from achieving ultimate success. And I control my emotions. I channeled in on what I had to do. And I was able to pass the test all the way through to become the first minority African-American certified master chef in the United States. I mean, that's, that, that, that's so, so, so crazy. And, and, and this goes back to, um, for me, just watching you, you know, in, in, in the kitchen, uh, that the way you mimic Chef Evans, and, and, and mimic is, is not a negative word. I think that, I mean, it's a really positive word, especially when you're talking about positive people. The way you would tie your apron, the way you wore your hat, the same the way that, that, that he wore his, you know, that you embodied a person. And then you did probably something more honoring to him then I believe that people would understand uh, what I'm saying is that you might have surpassed him in accomplishing this goal as a certified master chef. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that is absolutely probably the proudest moment that he would look up and say, wow, somebody did this and I got them started. You know, Todd, the, the greatest honor you can give to anyone, especially a mentor, is take what he's giving you or her what she's giving you, take the baton and run with it, but run a little bit further than they did. They would want you to do that. They would expect you to do that. They gave their life for you to have the opportunity to do that. And everything I did, I used Chef Evans as my example. I didn't even know you guys were even watching me tie my apron. I just knew that that's how it should have been done. And he was the ultimate example. Even you, Todd, I remember watching you and the way you would create recipes and dishes. I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a little bit of what Todd does. Even reading your menus now, I said, okay, I like how Todd create those flavor profiles. Um, so I think it's important that we, as examples, understand that people are watching us. And everything that we do can either influence someone to do better or go down the wrong path. So, you know, my, my, my honoring of Chef Evans was to live out his dream through the opportunities that I have. And when I took that exam, Todd... I saw Chef Evans for the last time, and it's emotional talking about it. He knocked on my door at Le Cordon Bleu's director of education, and I had a meeting in there. And I saw Chef Evans walk in. I said, meeting is over. And I took him all the way through that school. I introduced him to every student, every teacher, every faculty member, and just with pride, introducing him like he was my dad. Right. And I remember saying to Chef Evans, I said, Chef Evans, we got to get you back out there again. We got to get the world to know who you are. And he was like, Big D, they know who I am. You just go and pass that MasterChef exam. And unfortunately, he passed just a few months before I took the exam. But I just remember going into that exam when I was tired, when I wanted to give up. I just said, no, I got to do it because Chef Evans would have wanted me to do it. So um, that's a touching thing to talk about. But it was his guidance. It was his influence standing at that podium. When I was 19 years old, I would not be sitting here on this podcast with you, Todd. If it wasn't for that man standing up and, and giving me the inspiration. So, 
You know, uh, there's so many things in media, you know, that we see all the time where, where you know, that, that, you know, stereotypes, we can go on and on about all those things. But the reason why I really asked you on to share your story is that hopefully that not only is the story written uh, correctly about your path and Chef Evans' path, but also to show that that whatever narrative that people have about um, about black people in general, and really focusing the conversation more on black men, is that that there are uh, many more examples of positive uh, and great role models to me than there are negative stereotypes out there. And as long as we continue down this pathway of 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 teaching one and allowing that one to teach others, I believe we can we can move this forward. I want to bring up another part of the, the subject, though, when you talk about this exam and eight days and this fortitude that you have to do it and, and competition and also your basketball game, because most people don't understand how a kitchen works in teamwork. And that not only did we work on the line together, we also went to run and shoot just about every <laughs> night after work. We talked about right. this on Saturday, that right. we played basketball together. Right. That, that our kitchen was not only a, a brotherhood and sisterhood. Uh, and, and the reason why I want to make sure we understand sisterhood so much, because Chef Sylvia, who worked at that and at the Four Seasons Hotel, was equally as impressive. She can walk into any kitchen in, in any part of that kitchen and cook anywhere. She did pastry. She did garmage. She did banquet. She ran the cafe. Um, that we were a team and we were a family and, and that our legacy is long lasting. What is it about cooking um, that makes us react that way? That there's no other group that reacts this way uh, in this type of art form, whereas music, you see it and they go away, you know, or or visual arts, they go away. But in cooking, this art form, we are bound by the hip, no matter what we do. Well, that that's that's a great question, Todd. Um, I've always equated culinary arts and cooking as a sport, because if you think about it, it is really truly a sport because you depend on the person next to you to play their position in order for you to be successful as a team. So just think about the times when we was on the line. You know, I remember you being on the back line at the Villa Christina. You know, I just knew Todd was coming up with his dishes, so I better have my dishes ready as well. <laughs> so it's, it's just that camaraderie that you create, that that competitiveness that you depend upon in order to be successful. Because at that time, we didn't have social media. We couldn't just text, hey, what's going on, Dwayne? Hey, what's going on, Todd? We had to, like, see each other at work. We had to work through a ship. And then we say, you know what, let's go hang out and shoot some ball together, you know. And and those are the things that we we miss is that one on one connection that that really create that long, uh, you know, lifetime of brotherhood. Um, but being in the kitchen for me is always about creating the synergy, the camaraderie that you need to fortify those relationships that will last your lifetime. It, it, that, that's such a, a, a great answer. And also in our kitchen, too, uh, you said talking about coming up with dishes. We didn't even have to talk to each other to know when we we're going right. to bring up the dish. It was it became such a silent 
uh, type of kitchen. Our kitchen was open at Villa Christina, so it kind of had to be. But we mm-hmm. did things a lot in silence. We did things with just nods and and and, and things like that. And also the competitive mm-hmm. nature of ourselves is that you know you cannot come up with a dish that wasn't proper. I mean, I remember seeing people come in there and and take cooking you know exams to to work with us. And if you couldn't get past uh, Chef Dwayne, you know, there's no way in the world. You know, I mean, there's no way in the world you can even, I mean, he would have you in the morning. And he, and by the time we ask at night, you know, D, where's the guy, uh, you know, that's supposed to work with us tonight? Nah, man. <laughs> he, he didn't make it. <laughs> he, didn't, he, he, didn't, he didn't make it. You know, I just, I was like, man, you know, it's hard Listen, to we, make, come in here. We had, we had pride taught. We had a standard that you see today, we had it at 19 years old. And that's the reason why I say, even at the school that I've created, is that give these young people an opportunity to really stretch their wings because they can flourish at a very young age. And that's the opportunity we had because Chef Evans did not handicap us to allow, to keep us from being able to, you know, create things, to express ourselves, to have that standard to where not anyone can just come be a part of this brigade team. We held, we held everyone to the fire. If you came in for a practical and you didn't set up your station right, we already wrote you off before you was able to put the pan on the stove. So <laughs> that's, 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 that, that, was the, that was the culture that we had. And to see it today and the examples that we've been able to, been blessed to be able to be for so many in the industry, you know, we just hope that this young generation of culinarians and professionals really understand that you can spread your wings and be the best that you can be right now, even though you haven't reached the end of your career. We're going to talk about the Schuler Institute in just one second. We're going to take a break right quick. You're looking at Soul by Chef Todd Richards. It's the final stretch of 2022 and HRN needs your help. Our goal for the winter membership drive is to raise $30,000. Become an HRN member with a donation of any amount at heritageradionetwork.org donate. Through creative educational reporting, storytelling, and live events, HRN delivers thought-provoking exchanges about the real issues affecting our global food system. Your donation also supports our internship program, an essential part of HRN's work that educates the next generation of journalists. Donate at the $90 level before December 31st, and you'll receive a limited-release HRN t-shirt designed exclusively for HRN members by artist Chema Scandal. When you become an HRN member at any level, you'll be the first to know about special events and get news updates created only for Food Radio Insiders. Help us meet our end-of-year fundraising goal with your tax-deductible donation. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate and become a member today. Welcome back to Soul by Chef Todd Richards. I'm here with certified master chef Daryl Schuler, a great friend, colleague, known him for half my life here. And he started his own cooking school, which I believe is something that that is well needed. It's been long time needed uh, to have a chef of his caliber start a school, especially here in Atlanta, where you have, you know, a high po- uh, population of of wannabe cooks and chefs. And I don't use wannabe in a negative sense. I mean, I think they really mm-hmm. truly want to be, you know, uh, cooks and chefs. So 
tell me, why did you start a culinary school? Because I, I, I have restaurants and restaurants are hard enough, you know, right. and these are people we're paying to do work, you know, right. <laughs> and, right. you know, you know, and the opposite, you know, they're paying you to teach them. But what right. was the motivation to start this culinary school? And it's the Schuler Institute. I want to make sure I have it correct. Right. Okay. So um, back, back back in my career, I spent some time uh, in education from 2001 to 2008. I was a chef instructor at the Art Institute of Atlanta. And at that time, it was a perfect timing for culinary arts and education because the curriculum really did prepare you and young culinarians to go out into the industry and find a shelf and become apprentice and just, you know, continue on with your career. But as time went on, uh, the curriculum went one way and the demand of the student body went the other way. And it became a huge gap between what was being taught and what was being expected by the student population. And I kind of saw the handwriting on the wall and being a part of that world. I said, you know what? At some point in my career, I want to create a culinary program that will allow students to get high end education and limited debt, because I thought that that was the one thing that we needed as young culinarians not to go out into the industry with all this debt. Because in order to stabilize the the, the the workforce, you need people to stay on the job more than six months because, you know, culinarians was looking for a 50 cent and they was leaving to to, to go to the job down the street. But Absolutely. if you can let them, right, if you can allow them to graduate with limited to no debt, then they're more willing to stay there with you to kind of get that development, get that training and continue on in their career. So I created the Shoe Institute back in 2014. It was a dream of mine. I didn't know that I was going to go back to the school that I was actually the director of education, which was Le Cordon Bleu, uh, and actually launched there uh, with this program. And I'm so proud of what we've been able to create. It's an ecosystem that allows corporations to partner with us to help support these young talents going out into the industry, but going back into those operations and continuing their journey and continuing their training. So, um, you know, I'm so proud of this opportunity that we created. Uh, I think this is just going to be something really special throughout the country. We have our second location in Milwaukee that we're going to launch in December. Um, and I'm just so happy to have this opportunity to uh, to do this. I mean, it's so amazing, you know, to 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 hear this, um, because as a as a chef, our first responsibility is to teach. You know, we right. have to teach people how to make our basically our own recipes, let alone, you know, anything else. And whatever skills they don't have when they come in, it's our responsibility to make sure they have them when they leave. You know, and taking on, you know, students, you're taking on the, the most uh, novice of, of cook, uh, potentially the most novice of cook. But let me ask you this about the curriculum, because we see where food has changed, whereas we used to make bechamel all the time. You know, every mm -hmm. kitchen grew up, you know, had bechamel, and now everyone wants to throw heavy cream in the pan. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, how many places still have veal bones uh, coming in right. to make, you know, gloss and everything like that? Uh, how many people know, even know what the mother sauces are? Right. You know, um, that they think, or at least they think they know what the mother sauces are. Where has the the the, the culinary school experience compared to the actual restaurants? experience. How are you bridging that gap uh, in between those two disciplines where the industry might be full of shortcuts and their proper cooking techniques might have gone to the wayside? Yeah, I, I think um, for me, it's always about making sure the fundamentals are there. 
because that's a common thread that will take you throughout this whole entire career. So whether you brazen uh, a leg of lamb or brazen endive, the method is pretty much still the same. Whether you saute in a saute pan or saute in a wok, it's pretty much the same no matter where you go. So those core principles, those core fundamentals is what we always stand upon and which we, which we don't deviate from. But what we do at the Shuley Institute, we actually put our students in a real world environment. We have an actual restaurant called Farm Kitchen and Bar, which is actually getting pretty good reviews, uh, Todd, I must say. I saw, I saw, um, um, let me let me let me quote the reviews here. Uh, you have 37 reviews, uh, 35 five star and 30 and two uh, four star. So I just want to be accurate in understanding that I did look at it prior to this uh, podcast. Well, thank you for that. And and the reason why we wanted to have an environment to where we have a high level of uh, expectation is because the students have to have that level of high expectation. In order for them to be able to go out into the industry and be day one ready, you have to put them in an environment to where they actually know what it takes to actually produce a meal, to serve it to a customer, to see their expression on their face, to actually you know be able to work on the line and know what it's like to hear that ticket machine run and to see the tickets on the floor. You know, those are the things that you know we give our students at the Shula Institute. We don't hide anything. The old method of teaching was day one, you'll walk into a kitchen and you have eight to 20 students standing around a table cutting up vegetables all day. And then you'll go home and those vegetables will end up in a, a Lexan or in a container in the cooler for some chicken stock that you're going to make maybe a week from now. And that method doesn't work anymore. Students mm-hmm. want instant gratification. They want to know that what they're doing is going to make sense and going to take them one step closer to their ultimate goal. But these students also are entrepreneurs at heart. They really want to know the business of how to start a business. And the best way of doing that is really put them on the line and let them learn how to cook. Let them see all aspects of the industry. Let them hear different chefs like you, Chef Todd or Chef Dwayne or Thomas Keller or all the great chefs in the world. Let them hear and see how to how they go about cooking. And even with our international program, Todd, I don't allow chef instructors to teach those classes. I'll partner with the, um, the the consulates from all those different countries, and I bring in people from those countries into my program to teach that subject. So now you have someone from uh, Japan actually teaching Japanese cuisine wow. and talking about the people, the culture, the indigenous ingredients, the indigenous equipment, all the things that really make cooking authentic. And to master a craft, the first thing you have to do is study the people, the culture, and the reason why they do certain things. I, you know, I, I want to talk about technique a little bit more uh, in a sense that, that what you're saying is so true. When I looked at the menu and some of the dishes that came out, like the mac and cheese that I saw that came out, which is traditionally so traditionally Southern. But this to me was, you know, it was cut geometrically in a rectangle. It stood up straight. It was probably about two inches high in the air. The cheese was caramelized perfectly across the top it was slightly slightly askew off the off the center of the plate. It was a beautiful presentation alone, not the usual mac and cheese that we will see either in a to-go dish and a cast iron skillet with the cheese oozing down the side. There was so much uh, technique in it, but it had still had personality. And mm-hmm. and and how uh, in that restaurant. Do you develop the personality in each of these chefs in a controlled environment where you have a restaurant that customers are actually, you know, paying money to dine? Yeah. You know, the the food is the food is the the, the story that you're telling. 
And, you know, a lot of times people hate going to chef driven restaurants, Todd. It's because chefs cook with their ego mm. and is what I create is what you're going to get. And that doesn't always resonate with your consumer base. And I always live by the 80, 20 rule, 80 percent classical, 20 percent trend. So an example, think about a Corvette. OK, you think about the Corvette It's very similar to the one that was in 1950 to one now. They just make little small modifications over the years in order to make it trendy and make it attractive. So even with food like the mac and cheese, that's a classical dish. There, there's a creamy version. There's a baked version. There's one that's made with milk. There's one that's made with a roux. There's so many variations of it, depending on what culture you came from, what resources you had available and, you know, what 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 style that, that was just you know good for you. So for me, I try to incorporate all of those. So baking it, cutting it, topping it with a bechamel or Mornay sauce, you know, having that cheese on it, baking it off again, getting that crust on there. Those are the techniques that's all incorporated into one. So if you're teaching a principle, you're teaching students multiple principles with one dish. And for me, I think that's the most effective way of really showcasing the art of cooking to a young culinary in a short amount of time is by giving them the blueprint on how to execute technique in a very efficient way, but at the same time doing more than just one thing at a time. I mean, it's almost like you sound like Miyagi over here, you know, paint defense, you know, <laughs> you know, wax the car, wax on, wax on. Yeah. I, I mean, before you know it, next thing you know, you have a whole, um, you know, you have a whole repertoire of dishes and things right. become more commonplace. Um, right. So we only have a few more minutes here left. And, and, you know, you and I, we can we can talk forever and you get, you right. know, you get your nutter on here. We can be here for for days, um, you know. <laughs> And, and Dave right. and everyone, everyone else. Um, but briefly, just what do you think the future of food or future of restaurants are going to be? You have the Schuler Institute, you're a CMC, you, you've seen the world from uh, culinary world from many different sides, running restaurants, educator, uh, uh, master chef. Where are we going? Just where are we going with food today? Uh, well, I'll tell you what. We're going in a direction to where you end up having some type of computer system making your food is where we currently heading towards. And simply because of what's been said out there in the industry now, so much negativity has been placed upon the restaurant industry during this pandemic that a lot of people think that they, we're the epicenter of the spread. And so my mission is to, to let the young generation know that hospitality is always at the forefront and we can always reinvent ourselves. So I think the hospitality industry is going to reinvent itself. I think it's going to go in a direction to where it's more plant-based. I think you're going to see a lot more emphasis on nutrition. I think all those old school methods of just deep fat frying, laden, you know, you know, hollandaise and all that stuff is slowly going to go out the way or be innovated into a more alternative healthy version. But I think health is going to be the mainstay in the culinary world for many years to come. And I, I really love that trend because you know, that's really what food is all about. Food was always about survival and utilizing the things that was grown in your community, in your backyard, and uh, your neighborhood. It wasn't until we put a monetary value to food that things become a little chaotic and a little complex. So I think as the industry continue to grow and innovation comes out, I hope that there's a workforce of people that are in the kitchen cooking these trends. The trends are gonna come, 
But who's preparing that food is the question that I'm concerned about. And I hope that not only you, myself, and everyone that's listening to this podcast that's a culinary professional really engage in just helping a local high school that has a hospitality program and mentoring those young ladies and gentlemen and letting them see that there is a pathway to being a global citizen and here's how you do it. And don't shy away from the industry because it can be very lucrative. It can be very rewarding, but we have to have more ambassadors talking about our industry or it's going to go into a direction that, you know, all of our traditions and and and, and styles are, are just going to be lost. I, I have two questions. The first question I have is um, we talk about robotics and things like that in technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly we've seen technology be beneficial to us like the RoboCoop. The RoboCoop is a very, mm-hmm. you know, it's not a, a a modern thing outside, you know, 1970, but it's still not, not right. everyone doesn't have one in their in their kitchen. Uh, the blender, right. the blender is a modern, you know, still a, a modern tool that we that we use. Most people, you know, use, will make hollandaise by hand. If you go into a lot of mm-hmm. the kitchen, them they make it in a blender you know which i i think is technically in my old school way of uh, of Mm -hmm. chef evans will be wrong but then i look at the process and efficiency of it i say okay well maybe why does this work why does this last longer where will technology be beneficial to us moving moving forward i think i think technology would be beneficial for us making us more efficient in the kitchen but the key thing is making us more efficient in the kitchen meaning that there's going to be people cooking your food in the kitchen. That's meaning because mm-hmm. the, the one meal that you remember the most in your life, Todd, is what? Big Mama. Going to Big yeah, Mama house absolutely. and watching and watch her go in the kitchen and cook. Those are the memories that we live on. And what we don't want to see happen is the efficiency is incorporated with some type of machine making your burger or some type of machine making your pasta. And those technologies are here. Those, ta- those technologies are out there now. And we so see what him we need on is Instagram a, sometimes you scroll as, and it's as, like exactly. that, you know. Exactly. So we need an efficient workforce out there and an engaged workforce out there, uh, a workforce that know how to work smarter and not harder and a workforce that really see this industry for what it is, cooking from the heart, because that's the one ingredient that a computer can never duplicate is the passion that you put in food, the taste, the feel, the emotions, because it tests all five senses. You smell it, you taste it, you feel feel it, you hear it, the whole nine. And so um, I just think technology is always going to play a huge part in what we do. It's just important that we have people in the kitchen along with the technology. The, the, the last question I have, uh, and again, I think so much for taking time out your day. Uh, I mean, Thank we're you. both busy people. Um, you know, we talk about our kitchen and, and nostalgia. And, and I would be remiss to say that if any uh, uh, woman was listening to this podcast, uh, they would wonder how much of a good old boy network did we create or do we have? And I see, you know, and and I'm going to speak for you in this sense that that we've both seen in our kitchens uh, growing up and modern that there's more balance, you know, to to it. There's Mm -hmm. women and not just relegated to pantry or pastry, even though the best pastry chef I still know is Joni, you know, and, and, you know, and if I had one of her cookies right now, man, I would... I would be quiet, you know. Uh, where are we going to go in this field to and give more balance to this playing field? That we have to be more inclusive um, in the community, um, even in the Olympics or things like that. You know, you or Boku's door, you don't see it 
you don't see that balance uh, moving forward. How are we going to balance out this industry uh, moving forward? Well, I, I, I think women have always played a huge part in what we've done. Uh, my coach on the Olympic team was a female, was a woman. I mean, she was, she, her name is Jill Bosich, and they call her the, the, the cowgirl because she wore these boots in the kitchen. And when I tell you she was tough, she was tough. Um, I think that more young women and people of color and all ethnicities are just going to embrace hospitality. And hospitality is the ultimate form of love because you're doing something with a lot of purpose and a lot of attention for someone that you don't know. And I think in this industry, you'll see that, you know, women are going to take the forefront. You see a lot of women on James Beard. You see a lot of women being, you know, nominated as best chefs. I mean, you just, I mean, I just don't see it not slowing down. And the more women that we have out there, the more women that we see leading a brigade system that's really, you know, being cutting edge and and being at the forefront of the industry, the more young women that's going to come behind them and just going to want to follow in their footsteps. But anyone that says that hospitality, and especially in the culinary world, is a good old boy club, then they're they're definitely mistaken because I've worked with some women who have outcooked me and and it's just amazing of what they can do. So um, that that notion of it just being an exclusive club is, is just not true. But I do think that you'll see a lot more women really come to the forefront in our, in our industry. You know, the reason why I really pose that question is because I want to make sure that that people understand that that we can change these things um, uh, both on the outside and on the inside and behind the scenes and that accomplishing uh, these goals uh, of equality does not just happen overnight. You know, Chef right. Evans had a, a, a balanced ki- uh, kitchen. Uh, uh, you have a balanced kitchen. I have a balanced kitchen. And we have to continue moving those things, you know, uh, forward. But also we have to look at something that when you had me do in the commencement speech uh, at Le Cordon Bleu, that we still have to strive for things like equal pay for equal work um, and and things like that, that moving forward. And it's not uh, to say that we haven't accomplished uh, uh, many goals, but I know for you and for for myself that Chef Evans, uh, one of his things was make sure that we were being fair to all. And we have to continue that legacy. So certified master chef Daryl Schuler, where can they find you on <laughs> social media? So you can find me on Daryl Schuler CMC on all of my social media platforms. You can also follow us at theschulerinstitute.com or find more information and recipes and menu ideas about our restaurant, farm, kitchen, and bar.com. I am um, still in awe of what you're doing with these students. Uh, I know you and I have some work to do behind the scenes. We need, we need, you know, just like everyone in labor, uh, this labor shortage, we need more cooks. So, you know, we're going to find a way to work with you to to take your your team and bring them onto our programs. Uh, also, on the behalf of of my restaurant group, the Soulful Company Restaurant Group, uh, we know that you have some outstanding students over there, and we're going to ask that you find one student 
student uh, for us to do a scholarship for uh, on behalf. I know those books are not cheap. So we wanted to take care <laughs> of, of one student's book for, for a year, for every year, as long as you're, you're open. That is, that is a promise that we're going to do. We're going to start with one. And as we open up more locations, we're going to keep contributing uh, uh, to it because uh, one thing that we do have uh, in common is not only Chef Evans, but that we also want to make sure that this industry uh, continues moving forward. I appreciate you taking your time on a, a on a Tuesday. Uh, you know, we live in the same city. We don't get to see each other as often as, as we, we should, but never forget that we're always in each other's prayers. So I thank you kindly, my friend. I love you, my brother. Thank you so much and God bless. You're listening to Soul by Chef Todd Richards. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.